0: Hello, my friends, and welcome to worship at Carmen United Church for this July 26th of 2020. I'm so glad you're able to worship with us this day. In our worship today, we continue exploring what is normal in the views of the world and in the view of God. So far, we've looked at environment and leadership and community. And today, we're going to take a look at outreach and what it looks like in the early church. Now, before we begin, I just invite you to still your heart and your mind to just experience God's silence as we come together in prayer. Let us pray. Holy God, from wherever we are watching, whenever we are watching, we come to sit in your presence today. God, as we face the anxieties of the unknown, as we wonder what life is going to be like as we wonder where we are going, give us your peace as we worship you this day. No matter what is happening in this world, may we be reminded right now that you are always with us. We are never alone. We give you thanks and praise in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. In our scripture reading today, we are again looking at the book of Acts as we took a look uh, as we take a look what kind of activities the apostles undertook as missionaries and evangelists in the early church? So today we read from Acts chapter 8, verses 26 to 40. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Arise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was a new Ethiopian, a eunuch a court official of Candace, the queen of Ethiopians, who was in charge charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I understand unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come and sit with him. Now the passage of of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no longer and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, you who are our rock, our strength, and our redeemer. Amen. In our last winter in Ottawa, before we moved back to Nova Scotia so I could go back to school, Uh, Our church there started a new outreach program. It was called In From the Cold. It was a dinner uh, for those who needed a meal. It was primarily for the homeless and uh, the low-income housing that were in the neighborhood around the church. But in reality, no one was turned away. Bev and I, we volunteered at the dinners, whether it was serving or welcoming or security or whatever it was. We were happy to help out. There are also supplies that people could take with them when they left. Things like clothing, socks, books, uh, a bit of food from local grocers or bakeries. It was a great success, and it still continues to this day through the winter. And some nights, there's even live musical entertainment, depending on who they can get to come. Now, who knows what will happen this coming winter with the pandemic and everything going on, but... Every Saturday night for the last good number of years now, the church hall was full of people coming for food and for fellowship. As I volunteered that one year, it was great to sit and talk with the people, you know, while they waited for the food and and take a chance to, to get to know them. And I really haven't even mentioned the food just yet. So often at at dinners like these, you know, you'll serve a bit of spaghetti, maybe some soup. Uh, If if they're lucky, they'll get a little bit of ice cream or a dessert at the end. But no, that's not the way it was with this one. At this dinner, you get a full four-course meal. Starts with a salad, then you get your soup, and then the main course, and then a very nice dessert. Well, the main course, what was in that? Well, it depended on the week, depended on what food was donated. There'd be roast beef or fish. or I remember one night they even had bison. All of this was prepared by a five-star chef, someone who donated his time and found businesses each week to donate the, the meat and the, the vegetables that were being used. The food was amazing. And I still hear that every week there's over 100 people that come into that church hall for a bit of food, some fellowship, and just a chance to connect with people. Every, every Saturday night over the winter. All of this happened because people in the church talked with people in the streets. And through their conversations, they identified a need where they could help, even if it was just one night a week. I also know of other churches that decided they wanted to connect with local schools. So they would start a weekly lunch program. They would do something as simple as serving craft dinner. One day a week. And through those uh, regular visitors who come every week, they build relationships. And some of them turned into great relationships with students and staff at the schools. And in some cases, hundreds of students come to their church every week for some craft dinner. And then the schools themselves even took it on the initiative to find ways to donate craft dinner to, to the program. Another church I know has monthly seniors' meals. They'll even bring people in from long-term care facilities in the area. It's a chance, again, to give them a nice meal, some time together, some fellowship, and they'll even throw in a short worship service every month as well. Outreach to the community is a challenging thing, yet it's also rewarding. Now, the only problem we have now is how do we use our churches our buildings in the middle of a pandemic. Now, when we look at the book of Acts, we are reminded that the early church, they didn't have any buildings. In fact, they still worshipped in the temple. Then through the week, they would meet in one another's houses for food and study and prayer. Yet even without buildings, their church grew amazingly. Exponentially, It grew in those early years like it has never grown since in the last 2,000. Now when we look at Philip, he's one of the apostles. Sure, he wasn't one of the better known ones necessarily, like Peter or Paul or John, but he did have an important role as we see in Acts chapter 8. So when we look at Acts chapter 8 as a whole, at the start of it... Uh, Stephen, the Apostle Stephen, has just been martyred. He's been killed, stoned to death. And we see Paul, who would later become Paul, uh, Saul, who would later become Paul, we hear that he is ravaging the church. He was there when Stephen died, and he went for more, even to the point of dragging men and women out of their homes and off to jail, or even worse, death. So in response to Saul's deadly hunt for the early Christians, the apostles thought maybe it would be best if they scattered for a while, if they spread out. So Philip, he went off to Samaria. Remember Samaria, that, uh, that land of half-breeds, those Samaritans that Jews just don't like? But also remember that Jesus was there when he was on the earth, that he spent several days in this city? teaching and healing the people. So Philip, he follows the example of Jesus and he he goes to Samaria and he casts out demons. He heals people and he teaches them about Jesus. We're told there's much joy in this city. And then Philip begins to baptize people. Peter and John are, are hearing about the good things that are happening in the city where where Philip is. And so they come along as well just to support his ministry and and be a help. And then the people in the city begin to be filled with the Holy Spirit and their lives, they are changed. Once they've kind of finished their work in Samaria, John and Peter go back to Jerusalem. And then Philip, though, he gets a nudge from an angel. He gets a message that he's to head from the road, uh, on the road from Jerusalem to Gaza, this desert road. And as he's going, he encounters the Ethiopian eunuch. Philip is, is walking down the road when this representative, Queen Candace, is passing by in his chariot. And then Philip, he gets a little nudge from the Holy Spirit, says, go to the chariot. And so when he goes, he hears the words of the prophet Isaiah being read inside. And so he asks the the Ethiopian, do you know what you're reading about? And so the Ethiopian says, how can I unless someone someone tells me about it? And so Philip joins him in the chariot and begins to explain, starting with that particular passage about, about how he's reading about Jesus. And then he proceeds to teach him. The good news of the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. And as they're riding along, they come to a body of water. And the Ethiopian says, you know, why can't I be baptized? And Philip's like, there's no reason. So they get out of the chariot, they go down to the water. And Philip baptizes the Ethiopian in the water. And as he comes out of the water, Philip disappears. God takes him from there to another location. And we hear that the Ethiopian never sees him again, but yet goes on his way rejoicing. This seemingly chance encounter is considered to be the birth of the church, the early church in Africa. But as we read it over, we realize there's no coincidence here. This is not by chance. This was by design, by God's design that Philip, was on the road as the chariot passed by. This is how the church spread. This is how it grew in those early years after his birth on Pentecost. The church, the early church, the early Christians, they didn't build buildings for people to walk into and and encounter and find the Savior. The early church, they went out and they introduced Jesus to the people. Quite often moved by the Holy Spirit when they did so which means they were able to hear from God all the time about what they were supposed to be doing. And when they heard that voice, they knew instinctively. They recognized it as being the voice of God for them. Now, what if Philip Philip had said, that's a long, hot road from from Jerusalem to Gaza. I really don't feel like going there today. And then he stayed in Samaria, where the work was seemingly already finished. What if Peter and John heard about the good things happening there and said, well, Philip's got it under control. What if the apostles, simply meeting in one another's houses, said, this is enough, this is all we need. What if they thought they knew Jesus, they were saved, they had everything they needed for eternal life, so why bother anyone else? But they couldn't do that. They couldn't do it. God was so directly involved with their lives. At that point, they just couldn't disobey what God was telling them to do. They couldn't do it. They had to follow. They couldn't shake those words, those final words they heard from Jesus that said, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, teaching them all that I have taught you, Jesus told them to do. Now, I think the key word in those instructions that Jesus gave them in the, in, the, in the great commandment is the first word, go. Go make disciples, go baptize them, go teach them, go. And so they went. They had nowhere else to do this. They didn't have buildings. There's no churches, no halls. They had no choice but to Go. Now imagine if on Pentecost the gathered disciples, you know, they received the Holy Spirit and then maybe they just said this is good and they never left the house. They never went out to teach people. They never encountered those 3,000 people that joined the church on that day. Imagine once Saul began to just ravage the church that the apostles just decided that we'll hide here in this back room and not go anywhere. Imagine if Philip didn't go to Samaria. Imagine he didn't want to take that long, hot walk through the desert on the way to Gaza. Imagine if he chose to be shy and not run up to the chariot. What would have happened? Would there still have been the early church in Africa so soon after Jesus walked on the earth? Would Saul, would Saul himself, ever become an apostle? if the church wasn't out there preaching the good news? Would he have never become Paul, who was a leader and encourager of so many churches across the land? Would the church even still exist at this point if they hadn't gone out and did what they did? Things may have looked quite different if the early church decided that the dozen or so of them were enough if they decided to be greedy and keep this incredible life-changing secret to themselves, they could have easily done that. Thankfully for us, they didn't. They didn't feel this way. They didn't feel like they could do it. They knew they had an incredible story to tell. They knew God wanted them to share it. And so they did. And from there, the church was born. church looks very different than what the apostles started 2,000 years ago today. I wonder if, if, uh, if they showed up on the earth right now, what would they think? Would they recognize the work that they began, that launched all of this? Would they recognize it? We have a normal in mind when we think about the church. The problem is I'm not sure it lines up with the normal that the apostles had in mind that they they launched by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit 2,000 years ago. When I read about the early church and their commitment to teaching as Jesus told them to teach and then I look at what we all do today, I'm not entirely sure it all lines up. Now don't get me wrong. I love the church. I love the people in the church. But we've been spending this whole month looking at uh, what we see as normal, what we see as normal, versus what God puts forward as normal in Scripture. And when we look at the two, I, I have to be honest, I'm not so sure that they line up. And we've looked at the environment. Uh, we've looked at leadership, we've looked at community, and now we're looking at outreach. God's example of outreach is the early church. The work being done by what we read in the New Testament, beginning with the book of Acts. We see, of, we, we see Philip's uh, dedication to following God's instructions, even though he had no idea what to expect when he got there. He just knew he had to walk towards Gaza. Or we think of Paul writing and visiting churches all over the place to encourage them, to to lead them, to guide them. So the New Testament, beginning with the book of Acts, shows how the early church took what Jesus had taught them, and in particular, those last instructions, those instructions we call the great commandment, and we see how they lived them out. We see that when in Matthew 28, starting at verse 19, Jesus gave them these instructions. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. That is the normal that Jesus expected from those who follow him. The challenge today is we've become comfortable. We've been this way for eons, really. The church a long, long time ago became about structures and and buildings. It became about rules and, and liturgies and making sure we did everything right in those particular areas. Now, sure, these things, they are helpful to us. It's helpful to have them. But I see many churches and denominations where these things have become idols for worship. They have taken the place uh, of Jesus as the head of the church, as the one we are to worship. I've seen it time and time again. We are especially good at it in the United Church. We worship our denominational structures. We worship our ideologies. We worship our policies. The lament I heard when we did away with presbyteries was not really that much of a surprise to me. And now I'm seeing efforts of some people, particularly clergy, to kind of organize some sort of structure to replace it. Now, personally, with the loss of presbytery, I feel free. I have less meetings. That's wonderful. I have less work being placed on me by the structures of the church. I feel I am much more able to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit to do what God is asking me to do. So what is holding us back from following the way of Jesus? from following the normal activities of the church as we read in the New Testament, what is holding us back? What is it about our normal that has become our worship instead of the worship of the true head of the church, Jesus Christ, our Lord? As we look at what is happening all around us in this time of pandemic, and as we realize there may not be a normal to go back to for quite some time, a year, two years, maybe longer. What do we need to hear from God right now? Think like the, the, the early church, you seemed to jump into action every time God spoke. So what is he saying to us? What is the normal he wants to establish in our churches in our communities, in our towns, in our cities, in our nation, and in our world? What does God want? I spent a good chunk of this last week preparing a 12-page document that is part of our reopening plan for this church, Carmen United Church, which coincidentally already needs to be revised given the latest public health updates just the other day. The document mostly handles how we will conduct ourselves within the limits that have been placed on us by public health in the the midst of a pandemic. That is what the document largely holds. But the document that I've written also invites us to, to, to consider what God wants from us next. Now, this pandemic, while it's challenging and hard, yes, it will continue to be challenging and hard for, who knows, the next couple of years possibly. Yet this is also a time of opportunity. I hope you see it as an opportunity. It's an opportunity to, to reconsider, an opportunity to, to dream, to reimagine what church is right now. It is a time to turn to God in our, in our times of prayer and ask Him what He wants to see in the church right now. It is a time to place ourselves in the hands of the one who created all that we see and ask how we can help bring His kingdom to this earth as it is in heaven, as we so often pray. God wants things to be normal but not the normal that we have created as a society, but the normal God created in the very beginning, a normal where God and humankind walked side by side in the garden that he created, a time when everyone had everything they need. May we hear from God how we can be part of this new movement, this new movement of the Holy Spirit to bring people back into relationship with him in a period of time when everyone is looking for something, some hope, something to hold on to. May God, may our God of hope, our God of life, our God of love, our God of peace, of grace and mercy be with us as we shift to a new normal in the world today. God be with us. Amen. I invite you now just to take a few moments in prayer. Let us pray. Lord God, we come before you humbly, thankful for everything that we have. We celebrate the gifts of the church. We celebrate the blessings of life. Even in the midst of pandemic, we are thankful for all that you have given us. We also come, O oh God, today seeking wisdom, and we seek leadership from you. We know you have a plan for this world. You've always had a plan for this world. Yet we as a society have turned away. So help us, O oh Lord. Help us to see the plan you have for us now. To help bring things back to what you have in mind. We ask you, God, to lead us in these days as we seek to be your faithful children. Lead us to the new normal you have and not the one uh, that we need to leave behind. Show us how to use the gifts, the, the skills we have to bring healing and hope to those who are around us. And Lord, we do indeed pray for those who are around us for those who are ill, for for those who are alone, for those who are hungry, for those who are lost, for those who are seeking, for those who are mourning, for those who are anxious, for, for those who are afraid. Lord, bless these people. Bless these people we picture in our minds when we hear these words and give them comfort and peace. Give them your presence. Give them hope and healing, O God. Lord, we lift up all of our prayers to you. In the name of the one you sent to show us the way, Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. And together we pray the prayer he taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Thank you for listening to Be Still and Know, a ministry of Carmen United Church in Sydney Mines. To learn more about our ministry, please visit our website, www.carmenunited.ca. May God bless you this day.